We read verse 1. 1 Samuel 20 verse 1. And David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father? For that he seeketh my life so far. God's gift of deep friendship between David and Jonathan. It's the theme this morning. God's gift of deep friendship between David and Jonathan. Three thoughts. David expresses that he is down and scared. Secondly, Jonathan is responding too optimistically. And in the third place, Saul condemns this God-given friendship. So God's gift of deep friendship between David and Jonathan, first David expresses he is down and scared. Secondly, Jonathan is responding too optimistically. And in the third place, Saul condemned this God-given friendship. Congregation, young people, I see David as a young man tending the sheep. And he is calm and he is looking over the sheep and see all those heads, all those backs. And he is doing well, tending the sheep. But then there is something moving there. He sees something unusual, and he is getting close, and he looks, and he looks. It's a lion. And David is not scared. He has his weapons, his javelin, his spear, his bow, and he has the courage to walk up to the animal. Those days, the lions and bears in Israel. And David had courage. He trusted in the Lord. And he looked at the animal, the king of animals, with those manes, with that beard. And he walked up to the animal and he was holding his spear and somehow he was able to grab his beard and to get that lance or that javelin in his heart. And he kills the lion. What a man. So young yet, so courageous, so much strength and power and will. Quite a man, that David. You know, he sang later about it. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. So he could do the impossible, we would say. He also slew a bear. I don't know if it was a black bear or a grizzly bear. We don't know what type of bears were those, those days. But in anyway, he also slew one of them, also going after the sheep. And we also know of this David as the man who was listening to Goliath, remember? Goliath defying the God of Israel, openly resisting the living God. 
And David felt such a pain in his heart. He could not handle that. That his God, that the God of Israel, the living God, was blasphemed. And he just had to do something. And you know that he talked to Saul, right? And that his weapons were too heavy, his harness. And we see him with his sling, and we see him approaching carefully, slowly. No, no, no. He ran towards the giant, and he just killed him. And he fell on the ground, and the people heard it. And he also cut off his head. What a man this David was. Did he have no fear? Did he sometimes have also the feelings of doubts at all, or... What, what was this David? Always so optimistic, always ready to go, never scared. Well, you know what happened, right? David fled because Saul was committed to kill him and Michael him down through the window. And he fled to Naoth and Ramah. And Saul sent soldiers after him. And they all began to prophesy. And they could do nothing. And Saul came himself. And he could do nothing. Because the Spirit of God came on him. And he started to prophesy, to be in the trance. And to be ecstatic. So we would think maybe that David again was feeling great. See, the Lord helps me all the time. I, I don't fear. With the Lord, I can do anything. He's, he's always fine. Well, apparently not. And I'm happy that's in the Bible. Because if David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, you know, Listen to those words in verse 1. What have I done? What did I do? I can't, I can't handle this anymore. It's getting too much. What have I done? So that I see him kind of broken, a broken man now. He has tears in his eyes, I would think. He's, always, he's crying. David? What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father? The seek of my life. David was sometimes down. David was sometimes afraid. David sometimes thought, has the Lord forgotten me? David sometimes had the feeling that I was anointed by Saul's king, but see, it won't happen. I wonder if it would happen. He was doubtful. Would he ever be king? So that courageous David was also human. That child of God was also real. And sometimes there was darkness in his heart. Like God's people today. It is not a strange thing to God's people. That they had wonderful days. And there was joy and peace. And then suddenly, somehow, the, through the circumstances or whatever, there is those dark clouds coming in. And they can't see through it anymore. And they don't know it anymore. 
and they and they say, I, I don't know. What have I done? What's my iniquity? What is my sin that he seek in my life? Because Satan does not sit still, right? Right? Satan is also trying to tease and to taunt and to make problems and to stir up the feelings in the hearts of God's people. He likes to ruin the church. He likes to ruin God's people. He hates it when they are peaceful. And that's not only David. David, yes, he was down, but compare him, for example, to Elijah. Elijah, who had also killed all those prophets of Baal and was running before the chariot of Ahab and there was rain coming. And then Jezebel got upset and she was committed to kill him. And suddenly that strong and courageous Elijah also went down. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. It's enough. David had the same feeling, don't you think? It's enough. You know, he had those javelins thrown at him. He had, he heard Saul always accusing him and being committed to, to, to kill him. It was enough. It was too much. And let me just show you from David and others from the Psalms and other places that God's people don't always have peace. Psalm 42, Psalm of David. My God, my soul is cast down within me. So cast down within me, something in me is just cast down in my heart. I'm broken. I'm depressed. Yes, I'm down. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts. He hears all the thundering water coming down. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. He can't take in air anymore. He's just under all the billows and waves over him. I will say unto God, my rock, why is thou forgotten me? Forgotten me. Why go I mourning? Mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a sword in my bones. My enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? See? David is mourning. David feels that sword in his bones. He's a child of God. He has he had so much courage in the past, and it's all gone. He has nothing left. 
Why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, from the end of the earth, when I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And not only in the Psalms, also in the New Testament. Think of the Apostle Peter walking on the, on, on, on the water. And then that unbelief came. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. He was sinking right, and he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why are you doubtful? So the apostle Peter, even Peter was doubting. And David, he is also doubting. He is wondering, and he's scared. Also think of Jonah. He fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Or think of Psalm 88. You should read that Psalm this afternoon. Psalm 88. It's quite dense. Thus laid me in the lowest pit in darkness, in the deep, the wrath lieth hard upon me, and thus afflicted me with all my with all thy ways. He feels hopeless. The wrath of God laying hard on me. I'm troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I am mourning. And let me just ask the question, what, what is it really? What is bothering him? Well, it is especially death. Look at the last verses, the last lines of verse 3. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but one step, but, 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 but a step between me and death. So David is down, especially because of, he feels that he is close to die. But David, the Lord has anointed you. I know. But it doesn't look like. I feel, I don't feel, feel, doesn't feel like that. So he is really down. And especially down because he knows any time that death can be around the corner and that Saul will do anything to kill him as soon as he can. So he comes to the look over his shoulder. Right, left. What's happening? He's constantly afraid. He, he does not feel certain of his life. He's, he can be there any moment. Well, that is true for all of us, right? It's only one step. To, how long does this step take, young people? How long does it take, take to do a step? 
There's, there's the second right, and there's, there's one second between us and there. We can die any time. The problem is we don't believe it. We don't want it. We ignore it. We just are in denial big time most of the time. But it's true. And I'd like you to think about it, young people. You know, you know examples, right, of people that have died just instantly. Had no idea. Didn't see it coming. That can be an accident. It can be a heart attack. It can be a hemorrhage. It can be anything. It can also take some time, right? But it can also be suddenly, a sudden death. Also unprepared death. But it's also about sudden. So therefore we need to think about that. Psalm 18. The sorrows of death come past me. And the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. So this specifically death that is bothering David. Because death is meeting with God. The sorrows of death come past me and pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. So throughout the Psalms, we see David often complaining and he has enemies and their problem is doubt. It's specifically death. Death, the seriousness of eternity is there. And yet, in spite of that, he sometimes sings Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. The rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But not now. David had been anointed, but God's ways are so strained. What is, young people, what is a straight line? How do we define a straight line? A straight line is the shortest distance between two points. The shortest distance is not going up, and down and right and left the other point. No, it's straight line. The, the shortest connection, the shortest distance. And so the Lord's people sometimes think the Lord just goes that way, right? Just from one point to the other point in a straight line. Not in David's life. He will be king, but it goes just up and down and all over the place that takes so many more years. He did not expect that, I suppose. The Lord's ways are so different, so many detours. Think of the people of Israel that were delivered out of Egypt. Did he go in a beeline to the promised land? Oh, no. They went south and wandered in the wilderness and then finally came to the borders It took years and so much more traveling. 
no, 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 just a beeline. Some would say, count on that. Count on that in your life. Count on that, people of God. The Lord knows what he's doing. And the Lord also understands your fears. And let me say this. The fear itself is not always sinful, per se. Doubt is. The Lord Jesus was fearful as well, wasn't he? The Lord Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. He was asking for that cup to be taken away. But he was also submissive, as the Lord's will should be done. So David, afraid, David expressed to Jonathan, he was down and scared. He was open about what, what, what the blessing to have a friend like that. Let's go to the second thought. So David is expressing that he is afraid in verse 1. And that Saul, Jonathan's father, is seeking his life. And then look at the expression, at the, at the answer, the response of Jonathan in verse 2. And he, Jonathan, said unto him, God forbid. I don't think so. Don't think that way. Thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will, not do, will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Quite strong language. God forbid, it's not true, can be right. My father is not after you. He doesn't want to kill you. I don't believe you, David. Because I have a good relationship with my dad. And if there is something he has in his mind, he will tell me he is doing nothing without my consent and my will. Jonathan, is he gullible? Is he blind? Does he have faith? Is that faith? What is that? Just in denial? Does he not see it that David will be the future king? And that Saul wants to kill him? Does he still not know that? But David listened to Jonathan with the strongest, it is not so. David says, it is so. So they disagree. David says, he's going to kill me. Jonathan said, not true. And David swam over and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. And as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. 
So David is saying, Jonathan, your father is not done. Your father knows that we are friends. Your, your father knows, King Saul knows that if he would tell you that you would prevent it because you are a friend of me. So I don't believe you. He won't tell you, friend. He won't tell you. I'm sure he won't tell you. And Jonathan said, okay. Okay. Well, whatever thy soul desires, I will even do it for thee. If you, if you think this way, whatever I can do for you, tell me. I'm not arguing with you. What a friend. So they don't fight, they don't argue, they just try to solve things. And the Jonathan, you know, don't you like the man? Jonathan also wants a solution for that. He does not want to be right. He does not continue with saying, it is not so. It is not so. Some people just hold on to things, right? So, so tightly, just, they know it, and you are a fool. Well, Jonathan gives David the benefit of the doubt. But how are you going to solve this? Well, David has... Um, solution. <clears throat> every month, every new month, every new moon, sorry, when the moon is just a sliver, hardly to be seen, in Israel they use that, the moon calendar, and the first day, second day, and third day of the new moon, not the full moon, but the new moon, there was a dinner in the royal palace. And then all the family members and generals were sitting there and they just had a good time together and they were eating and talking and chatting and drinking. And so David refers to that. And says to Jonathan, you know, it, it won't take long that we have the new moon. Actually, it is today, he says, I believe. The new moon. So, I won't be there, okay? It is too dangerous to, for me, and I, I, I think I have a plan. So, I won't show up. There will be an empty place. And then we'll see what's happening. And if King Saul, if your father ignores that, has no questions, does not get upset with that, if he is not disappointed, then we may believe that he is not interested in me. But if he gets upset, if he would say something like, Jonathan, where is he? And if I would explain to him that he was in Bethlehem, that he was invited to a yearly gathering in Bethlehem by his family. If you would express that David talking to Jonathan, 
And he would tell Saul that I am in Bethlehem. And if he gets mad, then we know that he is committed to kill me. I don't think that David was lying here. I hope not. I suppose there was in Bethlehem also a special meeting, a yearly meeting. And he is also referring to one of his brothers, talking to him about that. Okay, David, you have to come. You have to be there. So that's the plan. If he saves us, it is well. Thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very rough, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Verse 7. Therefore shalt thou deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. Notwithstanding, if there be any iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? So King, not King, David, is talking to Jonathan, telling him that if Saul would be angry about it, him having left, that would be the indication that Saul is going to kill him. But Jonathan, David is saying, Jonathan, can I be sure of you? Can I trust you? Did they, did they not have made a covenant in chapter 18? They did. But yet David is so scared. And he is he's wondering if that covenant with Jonathan still stands. He wants it to be confirmed. Thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant. And Jonathan is answering verse 9. Far be it from thee, for I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee. Then would not I tell thee? Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what is thy father's answer? What is thy father's answer thee roughly? And then they go outside. <clears throat> Because there are always spies around. And they have a conversation outside. And there's that, that deal that Jonathan will shoot an arrow in the field. And his army bearer will also retrieve that arrow. And if he would say, beyond, beyond, farther, that would mean that it's better to flee. But if you would say, closer, this, this way, that would mean you're safe. So that was their way of communicating without words. Jonathan was too optimistic, but they had to find out who was right and who was wrong. Friendship. 
Let's talk about friendship for a few minutes. Psalm 41. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. That's different, right? The Lord Jesus sings at the table, and Judas leaving. David was no Judas. He was the opposite of that. Proverbs 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So what, what, what a blessing to have friends you can talk to. You can just open up to. You can just tell them anything. And you trust them. And they will disagree with you if they need to. Because they love the truth. They don't flatter. They don't deceive you. They don't, they don't change the truth. But the blessing if that's your wife, if that's your husband, if you have that trust in each other, if you have that covenant, if you also have that covenant confirmed again, like David and Jonathan. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And this is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I think that is what many have, right? You have a friend, and you are closer to that friend than to your own sibling. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, enemies sometimes kiss. You can't trust them. But the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Don't be afraid to hurt friends. Don't be afraid to cause some pain, to afflict pain. If it is the truth. If it is something you have to say about seeking the Lord, about deceiving yourself, about sin, to warn you for being unrepentant and unbelieving and walking sin, and you name it. A real friend does not turn a blind eye to that. But the, the, the real friend wounds And that's also true for this David, right? Jonathan said, not so. He was wrong, but he was honest. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of a friend. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man, gluttonous and a vinebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. The Lord Jesus is a friend. A friend of publicans and sinners at the same table. And he was honest with them. 
He told the truth. And it was also a blessing for many. Jonathan was too optimistic. He was gullible. He was a peacemaker. He had difficulties believing that his father would do things like that. He was an optimist, but he had to be real. Brings to the third thought. Congregation David received friendship. Friendship with Jonathan was a gift from God. And he could be open about it. But King Saul hated that friendship. And he was mad at Jonathan and accused him that he was blind. See what's happening. Verse 35. Oh, 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king set him down to eat meat. Meat meaning food. And the king sat upon his seat. There's a seating plan. See that in verse 25? The king sat upon his seat, his throne, as at other times, was the same place as always, even upon a seat by the wall. So he was in that hall, sitting with his back to the wall. And Jonathan arose. It's kind of confusing. It does not mean that he stood, but it was straight in front of Saul. In the, on the other side of the table, in front of him. That's what arose me. So the king sat on his seat, as at other times, even upon the seat of the wall, and Jonathan in front of him, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. See that? So, empty place. And yet Saul did not say anything that first day. It was on his mind. Where is he? Where is he? I want to kill him. But he didn't say anything. Because he could ruin it, right? And then he would not show up at all anymore. So maybe he was unclean somehow. Because when you're unclean, you had touched a corpse or had been in contact with blood or something, you couldn't come. So maybe he was unclean so far. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something has befallen him. He is not clean, surely he is not clean. Now that must be the reason. But the next day, it just gets to him. I need to know. Came to pass, verse 27, on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Where for cometh not the son of Jesse to meet? Neither yesterday nor today. 
Do you see that? He cannot solve, cannot get the name of David over his lips. He can't say, where is David? He hates him so much that he refuses to even call him David. He says, the son of Jesse. You know, I've seen them often that people have really hurt, really hurt. They don't, they say, the man or his initials. They have a problem even pronouncing his name. Hatred, such a deep hatred. That son of Jesse, he wasn't there yesterday. He is not there today. And Jonathan answered Saul and said, David earnestly asked me to leave me of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go. I pray thee. For our family has a sacrifice in the city as a party. And my brother has commanded me to be there. I can't believe that's, that's a lie. And now if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away. I pray thee. And see my brethren, my family, my siblings. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. So, Jonathan is explaining to King Saul why David's seat is empty. And did they not talk about it before? If you would say, okay, it's fine, no problem, too bad. That would mean that Jonathan was right. That he would not do that. He would not get him. But if he would get mad, if he could not hide his feelings anymore, if he would just burst open, then you would know. Well, what's happening, verse 30? Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou Son of the perverse, rebellious woman. In English, that does not sound that bad, right? It's very, very rough, cruel, offensive language. Because he's talking about an unintelligent, dumb prostitute. So you son of a prostitute. You bring shame over yourself. Shame over your mother. You shame us. How can you do that? So therefore he cometh not to the king's table. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, to thine own shame, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness, the shame. So then King Saul is warning Jonathan. Jonathan, as long as this man lives, you shall not become king. 
Therefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Get him. Father Saul says to Jonathan, get him. But then Jonathan becomes the advocate. In verse 32, Jonathan answered his father and said unto him, Therefore shall he be slain. What has he done? He's done nothing. Amaze. He's slain him. So Jonathan does not want to please his father either. He is honest. He sticks up for the truth. And he knows that it's dangerous. Because kings can also easily kill their own children if they are a threat to them. And Saul cast a devil in at Jonathan. Maybe not per se to kill him, but to, to show him this is serious. And now Jonathan knew that his father was determined to slay David. He was determined. He, now you know, now you know that David was right. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger. I haven't seen that before. But now Jonathan is in fierce anger. Just get up from the table. Just runs. I, I'm out of here. For he was grieved for David because of his father had done him shame. Anger. Anger of Saul. What do you think about that anger? It was such an ungodly anger, right? Such a selfish anger. And anger rooted in pride. I want the kingdom. I want to remain king. I want my son Jonathan to be my successor. I hate that David. Anger. Unjust. Unrighteous. Anger. Such a different anger than the anger of Jonathan. Jonathan, Jonathan was also angry, right? Fierce anger. Jonathan arose in fierce anger. So Saul was angry. Saul's anger was kindled, verse 30. But it has a such a different anger. The anger of Saul, selfish pride, and the anger of Jonathan. Pain, disappointed, disapproving. So what would God's anger look like? God's anger. The anger of the Lamb. The anger of the Lord Jesus. That's such a just anger. It's a holy anger. It's an anger you cannot see anything wrong with. That is an anger that must be there. Suppose that Jonathan would not have been angry. Jonathan would have said, okay, you don't like it, eh? Well, that's your problem. And I, I, I leave it alone. 
that would have meant that Jonathan did not love David and did not love justice and did not love the law. So you see, because Jonathan loved David, that I was so angry. And that is why the Lord is so angry. We're sinners if they don't repent, if they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he loves himself. And Saul was not supposed to love himself, but the Lord has a righteous law, a righteous justice. So was there the wrath of the Lamb. Think about that. Jonathan was a friend of David. There is also another friend, right? You can speak to, to lean on, to open up to. Do you know that friend with with capital? Has the Lord Jesus become your Savior? Has he become the person to lean upon, to tell all the problems and to follow the Lamb? Do you know him? Do you desire him? Who's more than David and more than Jonathan and so different from Saul? Do you know him? Don't you feel the need for him? Because there's only one step between us and death. Or may the Lord give that trusting in him, that taking refuge unto the Savior, the Son of David, so that when the time comes that we must suddenly leave, we may be prepared. And then there will be no anger of God. Because all the just anger of God has been absorbed by the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to be with the Lord, to be always with him, to enjoy that friendship and his fatherhood and him being divine and the Lord Jesus being the shepherd and the Lord Jesus being everything to his people. Saul's anger was selfish. The Lord's anger is just. Think about that. And examine your own heart. If you also have confessed your sins and your foolishness into the Lord, and if you have taken refuge unto that Savior who is more than Jonathan and more than David, only in him is life. Only in him is peace. Amen.